That's Come right. on. Scaring. I'll see if I can scare away another one here. Anyway, that's tomorrow morning. The Rodney Dangerfield for the medical profession. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me put these sunglasses on. That'll put me in a much closer to the mood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I'm sitting here um, kind of opening browsers and configuring my desktop and, and all that kind of stuff for our little chat here this evening. And I have this little widget on my uh, on my browser that gives me uh, various news headlines. And uh, one of them is um, the following. Congress reaches deal to end FAA shutdown. I know. I saw this. What is it? Read the rest of it. Um, well, here's the, here's the Reuters story. Congressional leaders struck a deal on Thursday to resolve a partisan dispute and end a partial shutdown of the Federal Aviation Administration that has halted airport projects and threatened thousands of jobs. I am pleased to announce that we've been able to broker a bipartisan compromise between the House and the Senate, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid said in a statement. Um, so the compromise did not resolve key differences that held up the funding extension, uh, leaving contentious issues until lawmakers returned from recess in early September. Um, Congress adjourned earlier this week in August for a Democratic aide said the Senate will finalize the deal on Friday by approving a version of a spending measure already passed by the U.S. House of Representatives. The Senate will use a procedure that does not require lawmakers to return for a vote. Um, I can only imagine what that is. Um, It's really for the best. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it would be so unfair of them to have to give up a few hours of fundraising for 2012 to actually do their job. I know. Yes. But now it's not clear to me. This is another continuing resolution, yes? Right. This is Actually, not yeah, absolutely. Number uh, 20, it's 21, a, isn't it? It's, an, it's another extension, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because the, the wording of the one, the story I saw, and kind of the same wording you just read, at first made it sound like they did the deal, all right? You know, bipartisan solution to the problem, all right? And then they go on to say, oh, but there's a whole bunch of problems still, and we haven't figured it all out yet, so. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, the problem, of course, is, is all, this, all these policy things – um, should be dealt with, but they shouldn't be dealt with in a crisis atmosphere. And and uh, we're going to shut down the whole ball of wax if you don't if you don't um, you know choose our policy. Yeah. Um. So it's a sad state of affairs when we are when we applaud our government because they've gotten back to the point of being merely indecisive. Uh, it's. Well, here's my here's my take. I guess that's not funny. <laughs> it was supposed to be. But I guess it's here's, just here's here's my take. Yeah, I did. If the, if the members of Congress who cost the United States government all these tens of billions of dollars in excise tax fees on airline tickets and GA fuel, I think while they're out there fundraising for the next month, they ought to send all that money into the treasury to make up for it. Yeah, that could happen. And yeah, and I'm that, done with that. Yeah. 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 So we've got a continuing resolution. How long is it supposed to last? Till um, well, it says September. They're they're back on September seven, something like that. Um, um, I would it says through mid September. So um, there you go. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that was not the weird story I was going to begin with this week. But you're right. That's plenty weird. It's, oh yeah. It just it's it's. Uh, I don't know. Costa Rica is looking better and better. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode 248 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We've uh, all returned home. We are recording this episode now uh, from our various homes on Thursday evening, August 4th, 2011. 
And joining me here in the virtual hangar are uh, my two good friends who are still a little bit under the weather, but uh, but getting better and better every day. Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I wasn't sick. Uh, I was just worn out. And today, I think, is the day that I finally got back to 100% of my usual 50%. So there you go. <laughs> and Jeb Burns. Uh, go ahead, Jeb. Eight lines write themselves. That's right. And Jeb Burnside's out there, too, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Uh, you're, you're a little hacking and spewing tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm still congested and, and coughing and hacking and that kind of thing, but uh, certainly you know, a little bit better off than I was. Have uh, you considered? Days. Have you considered the irony of the fact that we're in Oshkosh and you and I are the ones that get sick, and Dave is just like healthy as a twenty-year-old? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know there there is a certain uh, reverse poetic justice there. I know, uh, um, and uh, he he will pay. <laughs> That's right. He, we'll, he, we'll, 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 he, he will pay. We'll make it up I, I, him or not. You know what it is. You know what it is. Don't What's you? that? I left my Dave Higdon voodoo doll at home. Uh, ah. see, I, I knew I was getting needled a little less than usual. I couldn't Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to it from high atop Lookout Point. In uh, the peak of summer may have passed. It's not quite as warm as it was, but uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. <laughs> um, well, you know, it was funny when I was driving to Oshkosh. How, how warm is it? Well, it's not that warm right now. It's probably, I don't know, <laughs> low 80s or something like that, but not humid at all. It's a very pleasant day today. When I was... Um, when I was driving to Oshkosh two and a half weeks ago, um, it had been nice here for a while, but not really very, very warm. We had been hearing all these stories, though, about the heat waves that were going on in the Midwest. Dave's, of course, uh, told us about his situation, and they were getting it in Oshkosh um, before we all arrived. And as I was driving across the sort of, you know, uh, uh, Midwest or whatever you want to call it, the uh, uh, Ohio, Indiana, uh, Pennsylvania area, the Upper um, Ohio Valley. At, there you go. Thank you very much. Um, every now and then, I'd crack my window. I'm tr- I'm trucking along, trucking along on the interstate with my air conditioning going, um, listening to podcasts on my iPod. And every now and then, I'll crack the window a little bit and stick my finger out. And uh, the wind, the the seventy mile an hour wind, is really hot. And I'm going, oh, it's really hot out there. Um, and what apparently happened was that I drove through the heat wave because by the time I got to Oshkosh, it had broken there. And it had arrived in New England, so it was really, really hot here while I was gone. And uh, um, but it's very, very nice now. More, more information than you really needed. No, no. Yeah. So, uh, how was your trip home? How'd you guys do? Uh, I've, I've spoken to each of you a little bit about this, but tell me again, Jeb. You uh, so you flew the two of you from Oshkosh right. down to uh, Indiana. Where you right. You saw you, you saw the takeoff. I did see the takeoff. It was very, yep. very cool. 
the, I, I don't know if I told you what happened. So uh, we we recorded that last daily uh, in the, uh, out in the grass in front of uh, of Weeks Hangar, and I, we said our goodbyes. And I got in the car and drove back to the hotel, the Super 8 Hotel, which is right there down near the departure end of uh, 27. And uh, I wanted to get the that daily episode done before I hit the road. So I went up to the room, and I was working on the daily episode, and I had my aviation radio on as well. So I was listening to the controllers talking to the few remaining departures. And I suddenly heard them clear you onto the runway. And I go, oh, uh-huh. this is perfect. <laughs> and so I grabbed my camera, and I ran down the hallway of the hotel to, because we were on the second floor, ran all the way down that hallway to the window on the end of the of the corridor that faces uh, the North 40. And I'm looking out the window, and I'm looking for you, and I'm thinking, oh, I hope I didn't miss him. He couldn't have gotten out of here by now. And suddenly I saw you on the roll, and I saw you lift off, and you're really far away from my camera. My camera does not handle those long shots very good. But I'm just snapping pictures like crazy. I think one of these has got to be good. And I just snapped about half a dozen pictures of you guys as you were launch, as you were lifting off there. and uh, And the one that that I like the best was the one that I put on the blog there that shows uh, right. you guys lifting off with the North 40 beneath you and the tower in the distance and a very symbolic uh, final mm-hmm. shot. And so, well, it, it's interesting. I, I think the gear was in transit in that shot. Yeah, it uh, was. I, I didn't realize that when I, when I, when I saw you with my eyes, it looked like it was yeah. gone, but yeah, looking at I the remember, photo. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, reaching over and pulling the gear up and then kind of glancing out the right window and saying, Oh, there's the super eight. And, uh, uh, there's Jack's car. I don't see Jack, so I guess he's inside packing or something like that. And of course, I didn't. I didn't really think about looking at the window on the of the building to see if you were hanging out the window or anything like that. Um, you know, I know Dave said something about, "Hey, there's a Super Eight. It was so long, Super Eight, and and like that." And and we motored on our way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that was that was the the same instant in time. You know, basically that. Yeah. Uh, see. Um, yeah, we're on a wavelength. Another bad. We did a fine, bad. fond flying well, flying farewell. Easy for me to say <laughs> to the to the superb eight. That's right. Yes, the, yes the superb right. eight. So how was the uh, flying that day? The flying wasn't all that bad. It was it was you know kind of hot. Um, <laughs> um, we got to well, you know. I don't know what uh, what it is about uh, some ATC facilities. Um, we droned basically the same route that we took up, which was uh, basically direct to uh, to um, Clark County Airport, and that takes us over the uh, the Chicago Bravo, and we went over it at ten five coming up, and went over it at eleven five going back, and you know no real issues, smooth as smooth and cool, and, and all this kind of thing, but we're, we're getting fly following. And it's always very cool to see the 747s going. Now, now, don't exaggerate. We were trying to get flight following. Well, well that's, that's where I was coming. That's where I, you know, it's always cool to see the 747s and whatnot go, go underneath you uh, yeah. when, they're, when they're going in and out of, uh, out of O'Hare and whatnot. But we were trying to get flight following. And um, uh, hooked up with Milwaukee, and they gave us a squat code. And uh, we go motoring through Milwaukee's airspace, and... They say, you know, hey, you know, um, radar service terminated, Squawk 1200, have a nice day. Well, like, you know, it'd be really nice if you guys could, like, hand us off to the next center or the next facility. And um, he gives us a frequency and, you know, again, have a nice day. And I've never had, in all the years that I, I do, I've flown and get flight following and all this kind of stuff, I've never had a series of facilities drop me and fail to hand me off from fl- from flight following uh, so often uh, as on this particular flight. Uh, well, it was every not- bloody sector going up. 
Exactly. Every single sector. Every None single of sector. Handed us off to the next facility. And um, we get to Louisville, get to Clark County, uh, land, um, un- unload all Dave's stuff, put some more gas on board, wipe the sweat off, kick the tire, I hop in, and uh, off I go. And um, this is a Class Charlie airspace. We're outside of it, but I want to talk to somebody. So I call up Louisville Approach. Hey, how you doing? Um, and they start vectoring me and, and you know, kind of, you got traffic here and you don't have to do this. And you're like, wait a second, guys. You know, this is not what I really signed up for. Um, and A, you know, I'm kind of outside of your airspace. I'm like way outside of your Charlie by the time, you know, all this kept going. Um, and um, you can try to vector me, but, you know, I really don't want to play this silly game. And we'll just cancel service. And, oh, okay, fine. Uh, you know, squawk 1200, yada, yada, yada. In the middle of all this, of course, they start uh, complaining that my mode C encoder is off. Well, I just had all this stuff worked on uh, less than a month ago. The stuff is rock solid. I hasn't missed a beat all, all uh, since I've left Florida. Um, and they're saying, well, you're indicating 15,000 feet. Well, okay. Um, you guys, you know, might be your equipment, but I'll stop mode C squawk if that's what you want. Which I did, and they're asking altitudes and all this. Well, you know, finally, I just like, guys, you know, have a, have a great day. We'll cancel service and, and motor it on south. Well, I, you know, it hadn't been 10 minutes. I uh, dialed up Indianapolis Center, and I'm still in the climb. I'm going, to, going back to 11.5. And uh, Indy Center, you know, da-da-da-da. Um, how about some flight following? Um, and he says, yeah, squawk such-and-such and so-and-so. And, and I said, Okay. And gotcha, no problems. And um, I said, hey, any chance you could set up a strip on me? He says, oh, yeah, I already did. You're, you're good all the way to Sarasota. Now, why that was so hard for every facility north, every, every facility between Indy Center and Oshkosh, I don't know. Well, I'll but ask it was you a, the same. It was, appara- it was apparently just an impossible request, an impossible task. And um, that's all, really all it took. And, and I had the same squawk all the way into Tampa's airspace, including um, through the Jacksonville area where I went from VFR to an IFR because uh, uh, I had to get through some weather. And um, they kept the same squawk there, got all the way up to the Tampa airspace. Uh, And I don't know why they asked me to change squawks there, but they did, uh, possibly because uh, um, uh, the destination, I don't don't know. But uh, that's all there was to it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I mean, my question is now is the same one I had when we spoke on the phone about this uh, that afternoon. Is uh, um, you don't think this is related to the uh, FAA furloughs? People, you know, no. you, you no. don't think there were some sort of non-essential administrative folks that coordinated all these handoffs that were shorthanded they, that day? No, they, because they got the, ATC- the same people on duty that they had before the funding stopped. Well, be- besides that, the ATC system's not affected. Remember, this is. Um, it's basically the trust fund programs, um, uh, the trust fund funded programs, I should say, um, that were impacted by this this uh, uh, failure on the part of Congress to enact some some legislation. Um, the FAA's operations uh, and ATC system can, are funded mostly mostly um, through general revenues. Um, it's the facilities and equipment, the, the the tower construction, the airport construction. Uh, research and development monies that were impacted by this this FAA shutdown. If you pay attention to some of the news coverage, 
um, they're talking about airport inspectors in part um, who are still out there doing their jobs uh, without a paycheck, using their own personal credit cards for uh, travel expenses and whatnot, if, or any other out-of-pocket expenses, um, still out there doing their jobs, uh, even without a paycheck. And these are people who are not air traffic controllers. These are people who are funded through the airport improvement program, uh, program monies, and which is, again, separate and distinct from uh, uh, operating the ATC system. So none of this had any impact on the ATC system. It didn't have any impact on FISDOs. It didn't have any impact on uh, uh, headquarters offices for the most part, or at least those funded uh, strictly through um, uh, general revenue. Its, it's, it's impact was, was felt uh, on construction projects ongoing, on uh, airport inspectors, and, and certain other FAA offices for, that are mainly uh, devoted to uh, uh, work under those three main uh, trust fund funded programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you made it home okay. Everything was uh, hunky dory once you um, got to, had, uh, once once I got all that stuff straightened out. Uh, and, and as I say, as I say, from from Indy Center on south, it was a piece of cake. Um, there was some weather around the Georgia Florida line, and. Um, it was it was just kind of arrayed kind of oddly and in a line kind of weird and and all this kind of thing and and I started looking at that you know several hundred miles out and um, it was just kind of up and down the peninsula and uh, there was uh, I could have gone way to the west and gotten around some of it that way um, could have gone you know to the east um, at some point I would have had a, you know, a moment of reckoning and had to have gone through some fairly nasty stuff if it didn't dissipate or move off by the time I got there. And it wasn't really moving fast at all. It was just kind of building and dissipating and building and dissipating. But there was, um, um, I was, the way this stuff was aligned, um, there was a, basically a slot that I, I, the end of it, I was coming, I was coming up to it. Uh, the end that I was approaching it from or was uh, starting to close up a little bit and, and getting kind of funky. But once I got, you know, once I could get into that slot, though, I could see I had pretty much a smooth ride all the way to Tampa, and uh, it was just a matter of getting through that 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 uh, getting into that slot. And I found a hole um, mm-hmm. and slid right through it. Um, Area bump, got a little bit of rain. Um, I went to 13 to do all this, um, went IFR and then went to 13 just for grins. Um, and, um, really it was, it was a good smooth ride. I got a little bit of rain, uh, as I say, but, um, uh, nothing really to write home about just some, just some light and moderate rain along the route. And, uh, from, I don't know, 75 miles out, um, Tampa cleared me direct to the destination i said look you know i was routed over uh, ocala and then lakeland and um i was already well past ocala when i started talking to tampa and i said you know by the way looking at uh, looking at my onboard equipment and looking at the weather and everything like that if you just gave me direct destination it would keep me out of all this nasty stuff and, and we wouldn't really have a whole lot to talk about the rest of the way and he says yeah you're right clear direct destination boom and that put me you know, slicing the top off the Bravo and the whole thing, but uh, it worked out well for them. Worked out well for me, and, and that was really the end of it. Now, I, I know in that morning when we were uh, when you were planning the flight over pancakes, uh, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you you seemed to think that it was planning out to be just a bit over six hours of flying time. Is am I remembering that right? And how did it turn out? It turned out. Um, I think you were. 
um, that was a little optimistic if I said if I'd said six hours of flying time. My recollection is that you said yeah. two hours to Indiana and then four uh-huh. and change to Florida. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Um, it turned out to be um, more like two plus twenty or so. Two uh, plus th- twelve. Two plus two plus twelve. Two plus twelve to Clark's to Clark County, and then it was about four plus. Um, it was about four plus thirty. Uh, to get from Clarksville to uh, to Sarasota to Hidden River, yeah. um, and um, so six forty five. Yeah, some of that was a little. There was a little bit of a deviation involved in there. Uh, the uh, um, the the weather deviation up around the Georgia Florida line. I still had to deviate a little bit to find that slot, but um, uh, pretty much uh, according to plan the whole way. Sounds good, man. Everybody yeah. should have their own yeah. personal airplane. Oh, I think so. I think so. Except you know, there might be a little bit more crowded. In the game plan. It's in the game plan. In the game plan. So, David, speaking of which, uh, you actually took the uh, Jack method. You drove from Indiana back home to Wichita. Was that- it was kind of uh, an interesting divisional labor. Uh, I needed to be in Indiana on some business out ahead of uh, Oshkosh. Drove out. Was going to drive up to Oshkosh when uh, Mr. Burnside said, uh, "Wait a minute." Same day, da da da, and uh, so I got to make that round trip with him. And uh, always good company, always fun. And remember, never forget, it's just a jump to the left. Then <laughs> drove. Then, we never then explained drove. that, did we? <laughs> Go ahead. Then drove. Then drove back well, to Wichita from I'm there. Not sure, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not sure we should. How's that? <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> You just right. need to remember to keep your knees together, uh, and we'll leave that hanging. Uh, <laughs> about 11 hours, 40 minutes from uh, New Albany, Indiana, to the driveway here in Wichita. A little longer than the drive out. Uh, I stopped more. I wasted more time when I stopped. Uh, I wasn't quite as fresh and phenomenal as I was on the drive out. So... Uh, we kind of moderated things a little bit to make sure that we arrived alive. And after that, it was just a matter of staying awake through dinner. Uh, let's see now. Uh, yeah. uh, General yeah. Aviation News uh, published a piece on their blog, probably in their newspaper as well, but I saw it on their blog. Um, Cessna takes lead in LSA market share report. Uh, and I can't quite figure out actually who did this report, whether GA News uh, commissioned this report. Are either of you familiar with this uh, this survey, this uh, market share report that they're talking about? No, um, it's an interesting. No. Anyways, and so the uh, the little the little uh, blurb they've got this about is it from in, DJ. Uh, is it you from? Know, yeah, is I it see from a byline. It's just Dan writing, Johnson. writing for them. Okay. It's from Llama. Okay, it's from the the Light Aircraft Manufacturers right. Association. Um, interesting numbers, I thought. Um, uh, this appears to show the total registered uh, numbers for the top twenty LSAs. Is that what you take this list to be? Yeah, that's he's that, he's done this for a long time. Yeah, LSA manufacturers. Yeah, L- LSA. Manufacturers, but it appears to be by particular model. Well, no, maybe not totally. I guess. Um, anyways, number one by a big margin is uh, the flight design CTLS, uh, with according to this 333 aircraft flying. This is probably in the U.S. Um, yes. And then, uh, and then the uh, that's called like the Super Cruiser. Would that would that be the Sport Cruiser? Would that be yeah. the former uh, yes. Piper Sport? Okay. Yes. 177 aircraft. 
the Cub Crafters Sport Cub 168, uh, and then I won't read every number, but American the Legend Cub, the Technam P2008, the Remos GX, the Jabiru J250, and then the Cessna Skycatcher are the all the airplanes that have at least a hundred flying aircraft in the U.S. and uh, and it goes on. It's I just thought that was an interesting list. I, I was. I was surprised to see the margin by which the CTLS, the Flight Designs aircraft, was uh, was in the lead. I mean, it's really... I knew it was very popular. I didn't realize it was that popular. It's a substantial little airplane. Yeah. And it, uh, thanks to a long period of advanced work by the folks in uh, Europe and by the, the Tom Beginney-led operation here in the U.S., uh, the CT got its, its flying papers... Uh, it, if it wasn't first, it was second to get its flying papers under the ASTM standards. I mean, right at the very beginning, they they uh, Tom participated in a program of developing uh, the rules and maintenance manuals and all this advanced work that went into creating the ASTM standards. And they were like a number of other companies; they were right there on the on the starting line with their feet in the in the in the chocks and ready to break out of the gate as soon as the rules were approved and you could get the inspections done to uh, confirm it. And they started shipping airplanes. So they've been at it, you know, uh, what, would this be five years now since the rules came out? Could be, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Something was six. Uh, that was oh five. Yeah. Nope. Five. Anyway, yeah. Um, one of the things, one of the things that strikes me in looking at this, um, and Dan, in look at reading the the fine print here, Dan says, um, uh, let's see, first half of, of 11, six companies account for almost 90% of the registrations. Cessna alone accounted for precisely half of these. Uh, okay. And then reading down further, um, find it here. Cessna has risen to be the market leader for 2001, moving up to 8th from 13th. Oh, I see what he's saying. He's saying for, oh, for 11, they've sold more um, um, LSAs than any other manufacturer. But this, this chart is all is, time. Is all time since, um, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I see what he's saying. I was just kind of trying to jibe the headline with everything else here. I'm like, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's an interesting list. This is from uh, General Aviation News. Um, it's from, uh, uh, well, it's just today, I guess. Oh, no, yesterday is the dateline on it. And uh, Well, it's, yeah. it's well-timed because Gamma released their numbers uh, uh, yesterday or today, uh, I believe today, and those numbers are down again uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but mm-hmm. everything's down. Piston, turboprop, and jet deliveries were all down. And by good margins or bad margins, however you want to put it. Yeah. So the, yeah. What they're saying here is not only time to be in the same ballpark, but it tries to help explain some of what the market actually looks like. Moving on. Um, Moving so on. let's see. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the off-field landing of the week where the guy landed his ultralight in the parking lot of the strip club up in Canada. Right and uh, and just a quick little item here. Uh, one of our listeners uh, who goes by the name of David's Flying in the forums uh, just gave us a few more details about this. Uh, you guys mentioned the ultralight pilot landing at the strip club in Quebec. Just thought I'd give you a few comments. First, in Canada, we call them ultralights, just like you. We have two classes: basic, which is like your standard ultralight. 
uh, and the one in this story, and advanced ultralights, which are basically LSAs. Also in Canada, the regs state that in a town or city, you can't land or take off anywhere that's not an airport. So that's likely why he'll, why he'll be in some trouble. Um, and here, I figured it was for landing without a, a, at least 50 or 60 singles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. So uh, thanks to uh, listener David Flying for uh, for giving us a few more details on the uh, on the whole strip club strip landing strip thing. Anyways. Right, strip the, the strip club strip. Yeah, the strip club strip. I just think it's a natural. I don't understand what all the what all the you know foo-faw is all about. David. Yeah. Da- well, now wait a minute. I'm sorry. I put this on the list, but somehow I think David ought to know about it. This is Norman Surplus is resuming his record-breaking gyrocopter flight. Does either of you know anything about this? No. Uh, no, David. No. Actually, I don't. I, I had not heard about this one. Well, uh, then maybe. We'll, well, that means I'm going to have to read the story. All right, hang on a second here. I'm opening up the. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know there'd be a quiz. Yeah, well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess my question is: There's already a record for gyrocopter flying around <laughs> yeah, the world. I know he's, and that he's going to actually break. He's not the first one to have done this. Oh well, okay. Actually, okay. Fact, he's not the first. Those gyrocopter people, man. I'll tell you. They get in All such right. a spin over things. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, put a quarter in the jar. Um, somebody, I'm not sure whose phone that is ringing. Uh, moving on, let's see now. So, apparently, the, uh, the FAA, in their infinite wisdom, have uh, uh, proposed a rule, I believe inadvertently, making using an iPad in an airplane against the rules. What's the well, story it's an here? advisory circular. Yeah, and, and what's, so explain this to me. What, what happened? What were they planning to do? What did they inadvertently well, do? First thing you have to understand here is this is a rewrite of an existing advisory circular. Okay. Okay. It was doing fine yeah. by itself. Right. Right. Um, let me uh, let me open this real quick. Okay. Here we are. Um, so this is an existing AC. the The AC number is one twenty dash seventy six A. Is the existing one. The rewrite is one twenty dash seventy six B. It is, it is undated because it's a draft. And um, in looking through here, we've got, um, um, and this has to do with, quote, uh, guidelines for the certification, airworthiness, and operational use of electronic flight bags, EFBs. And looking through here, we have class one, class two, class three EFBs. Um, we have uh, mounting devices discussion. We have uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, very little of this is new. I'd have to put the existing one side by side with the with this draft to really determine what um, what is new here. Um, but the punchline seems to be: if you are a Part 91 driver not engaged in um, uh, fractional operations or operating any any heavy turbojet hardware, um, there's no impact. And, and at least from this draft, um, none of this really applies to anything. That you and I would fly, um, it does apply to quote uh, operators of large and turbine-powered multi-engine and fractional ownership aircraft operating under Part 91 Subpart F and Part 91 Subpart K, where the operating regulations require specific functionality and/or equipage. All other operations 121, 135, 125, 129. Um, 
which are commercial operations and have op specs and yada, 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 uh, would have a different set of rules to play under. And um, depending on the operator, depending on the equipment, depending on the EFBs, um, those, this, this guidance would apply to that. But wasn't there, wasn't there a story just a month or so ago that, uh, that the, the FAA had approved the, for airline pilots to use this kind of stuff? Okay, here's the punchline. Um, yes, is the quick answer. But um, the, the, the generic uh, hardware of the, the iPad EFB was what they were testing. Um, they weren't testing the specific software involved. They weren't testing or certifying how it was to be used in the, in the cockpit. They weren't testing or certifying whether or not the EFB was to be connected to um, the aircraft in some fashion, either for just simply power supply or to um, uh, provide a data interchange between the EFB and the, and the airplane. Uh, all of those questions are much larger ones and the, the kinds of things that tends to make the, the FAA very, very nervous. Right. So that story a few weeks back that talked about the iPad being approved for use by airline pilots really wasn't true. I th- no, I think it was true, but I think it really only impacted one airline. Okay, and, but and for in their case, there was approved software, or in their case, what they probably got out of this was um, um, charting. They probably got some manuals online or on the EFB. Uh, but that's probably also about it. Uh, they may or may not have gotten uh, the ability to connect it to uh, ship's power. They may or may not have gotten the ability to mount the um, the EFB in the cockpit. Um, I can bet you pretty strongly, unless unless there's some custom software out there that I haven't seen, that um, um, the EFB, in this case the iPad, uh, isn't going to be talking to the ship's computers. Right. Directly, no, it's, I, it's, I don't doubt that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this was probably simply one carrier, or um, maybe it was a, a group of carriers operating one specific aircraft and using uh, one specific configuration of the iPad. Okay. So getting back to this advisory circle circular that we heard about today, one story I read seemed to think that it was worded awkwardly and made it seem like. Um, that these devices were, in fact, prohibited by pilots like us. Actually, there's um, a change in the language between the AC and the very first paragraph that kind of throws some of this stuff into question. Uh-huh. Go ahead. That's, that's the beginning of, of where people question it. So when you say it throws it into question, it, it makes it seem like it's not allowed for use by pilots like then you us? you got to go read 91.21 which I'm trying to do here. Right, right. Where it changes well, in the very first paragraph is well, it, it says, other Part 91 operations do not require any specific authorization for EFB operations, provided the EFB does not replace any system or equipment required by the regulations. Right, right. Then it adds that these operations must still comply with the Portable Electronic Device Regulation, Part 91, 91, 121, Okay, I'll tell you what 91.21 says, okay? Basically says that when operating under IFR, um, um, the, the operator of the aircraft or the pilot of the aircraft must ensure that all portable electronic devices, all personal electronic devices are turned off. And that's like, you know, section A. 
section gotcha. or su subsection A. Subsection E or thereabouts says something to the effect of disregard subsection A if the pilot makes an affirmative decision that said personal electronic device may safely be used aboard the aircraft while it's in flight. <laughs> now, you laugh, but you've read FARS before. This is common. <laughs> this is normal. So, so bringing back the FAA was a good idea. Why? Well, there's that, too. <laughs> okay. All right. So the upshot of all this is that for us, regular old GA pilots, we can still use our iPads. Right Absolutely. at the moment, nothing's changed because for, the circular is still well, a draft. Yeah, that's right. it's a draft. Okay. But is this something we need to be worried about? Is this something we need to, you know, call our FISDO about or anything like that? I, 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 you know, I, I have to, again, put the put the old one up up next to the new one um and there may well be something in here there may be a, a misunderstanding there may be a typo um i can't for the life of me see where um the fia is going to ban the use of ipads or portable gps navigators or um even a portable calculator or something like that uh in in strict 91 operations it ain't going to happen yeah well, they, well they'd be laughed they'd be laughed out of office yeah. well which, which is not an altogether bad idea. Yeah, and don't, yeah, don't, don't misunderstand. Yeah, but, so but it's just not going to happen. Well, we're going to assign that to you as a uh, optional extra credit homework assignment, and uh, you well, can choose to put them side by side or not as you choose. Well, then, then I would get extra credit down the road, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, what would be my extra? What would be my extra credit? I. I it's the same answer Rick Reynolds wants. I know, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, 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 that's where I was kind of headed. Yeah. <laughs> Inside baseball listeners, sorry about that. Maybe we'll explain somehow later on. Uh, really, really fascinating collection of pictures that... Rock uh, your wings if you care. Yeah, that's right. That uh, interesting set of pictures I came across. I'm not sure how I was directed to them, um, but they are from one of the Wired.com uh, blogs. Uh, this one's called Neuron Culture. I'm not sure what the connection is, but, uh, but I don't care because they're awesome pictures. These are pictures of, um, of uh, I guess, mostly B-17 aircraft during World War II that have mm -hmm. returned from combat with just unbelievable battle damage um, and yet still managed to fly home. Uh, wow, what an airplane this was. Is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, the first image there when I first when I loaded this page and kind of casually glanced at it, um, I first thought that was a British Lancaster bomber. Mm -hmm, yeah, it, because of the the nose turret and, and some other stuff going on there. I was like, whoa, wait a second, that used to be a B seventeen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the nose is just just all mangled up. I mean, just shredded, and uh, you wouldn't think this airplane could fly with all the drag that you're getting off of this nose, you know, but uh, it's pretty impressive. There's another picture, I think it's towards the end of the batch, where is it here, that shows a B-17 um, in flight with a diagonal slash through right. the, uh, the, the, towards the tail in the fuselage. Um, and uh, from the description, it sounds as bad as it looks, where the skin is just completely ripped away. It's just a little bit of structure um, holding this tail still on. And this airplane, according to the text, this airplane managed to fly all the way back to its base and land. And and in, you know, sort of cartoon physics, the tail fell off as uh -huh. the airplane came to a stop um, on the runway, apparently. So what was the what was the Spielberg 
um, I think it was either a television show. Or I think it was a. Wasn't it one of the? I know what you're talking about. Stories or or that what was or, it? or wasn't it one of the episodes of the Twilight Zone movie? No, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a zone. It was, it was a, that kind of. Well, not, not the TV yeah. show. The, the Twilight Zone. No, movie. not even the movie. But it you're was, right. It, it was one of those kind of yeah. anthology movies where there were short, you know, four or uh-huh. five short episodes. And there was a B. There was a B seventeen crew, and they were coming back from a mission. And the belly turret, the guy in the belly turret was stuck. He couldn't get out. The gear would not come down. And, and they were going to have to belly land. They were going to have to belly land and crush the guy. And the guy had some mystical power, and he had a sketch pad or something like that. And he drew uh, in typical cartoon fashion with with you know uh, um, standard colors uh, a, a set of landing gear. Yeah. And suddenly the cartoon landing gear popped out of the bottom of the airplane. And boom, and it, and it landed, and uh, they, they, the rescue crews arrived and got the guy out of the belly turret, and he opened his eyes, and the landing gear disappeared, and the plane collapsed on its belly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that. I, yeah. I don't know. There was a, there was a Spielberg, um, it was some Spielberg thing back from the 80s or some thereabouts, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So apparently, so, we both do. apparently that story wasn't so far off the truth. If you look at some of these airplanes in these pictures, I mean, exactly. these, these airplanes exactly. are savage to think that they managed to still fly. I mean, not only not fall out of the sky, but actually make it all the way home. So uh, um, let's see now. The next one, 10 most terrifying airport runways. Right. <laughs> now, I, I was prepared to belittle this story. All right. Um, yeah. For starters, it's yet another one of these ten terrifying airport stories, and we've seen these from time to time. And they're, you know, um, second of all, it's from our our new favorite aviation publication, Women's Day. Uh, I just have no clue why they decided to run this item, but from the womensday.com website, ten terrifying airport runways, and and the thing I like about this now that I actually looked at it is that they've collected together YouTube videos uh-huh. for each of these, and it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to watch all these landings. Jeb, be careful! Don't push any of these buttons. You're bad enough already tonight, but uh, uh, your bandwidth that is. But uh, right, some cool stuff here. Now, the one that I ran out of time and wasn't able. So let me. Well, I'll come back to that one in a second. Let's see now. We've got uh, and some of these are the usuals. Um, uh, Rial Paro Bhutan, wherever that is, uh, Himalayan Mountains apparently, um, shows them coming in for a landing there. Uh, we've got uh, Honduras, which is looks like that that airport where the uh, airplanes come low over the right. ground um, right. on short over flight. the highway. Yeah, the old the old Kai Tak airport yeah. in Hong Kong. The, the old reliable Kai Tak with some more uh-huh. shots of that uh, but, last minute ninety degree turn. But there were a couple here I'd never heard of before. Yeah. This uh, Saba. Uh-huh, that was one uh, of them. Antilles. I think I've seen this one before. Um, it's, uh, you know, you kind of come over this ridge line, and then you land on a uh, on a runway that uses up the entire width of this spit of land, and uh, that's a good one. Um, Barra, which is where Barra is in Scotland. Um, I didn't actually watch that one, so I don't know what the issue is with that one. It's We've got the old reliable Korshaval Airport. Um, uh-huh. And we've got uh, someone landing... Um, in uh, where is this uh, Tiaman, tropical Tiaman Island, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, skipping ahead here, we've got landing on the, at the South Pole, and we've got landing uh, in uh, Lukia, Nepal, which is actually right. very reminiscent of the Korshaval. It's that kind of a mountainside uh-huh. sloping runway. Uh, uh, Antarctica, where all the runways are three six. 
<laughs> yeah, <right>. I know. <laughs> That's just must. No, never mind. There, there are all kinds of IFR jokes there. But here's the one I wanted to talk about. Um, so one of these is uh, is entitled "Amazing Landing at New York LaGuardia Airport." So here we are again. Someone else saying that that landing at LaGuardia is terrifying. I don't know. Um, but uh, the next item on our list. But before I move on to the next item, thank you for uh, uh, the, putting together this list. Uh, the uh, Women's Day, and uh, I'm going to watch these more carefully a little bit later on because some of them are pretty cool to show that. Fly, kind of fly into Peter O'Night in Tampa sometime. It's not particularly challenging, not particularly difficult. It's got plenty of acreage, but it will give you pause just because of, because of how the approach is set up. How, yeah. well, be, be more specific. Well, what about the approach is intimidating? Well, it sits on a little spit of land uh, jutting out into Tampa Bay. And you pass over a shipyard on one side with derricks and all that to to fly over a little strip of water, and then you land. And when you go out the other way, you fly over Tampa Bay. Yeah, um, it, the runways are wide. They're they're uh, certainly long enough to accommodate uh, uh, the average personal aircraft. Uh, there, there's a note somewhere. I don't think it's on the chart. Uh, it's certainly in the airport remarks about you know. Um, you're going to be flying over ships, and they kind of have tall derricks and stuff, so, you know, kind of pay attention kind of thing. Um, yeah, I've been in a, Yeah, I've, I've, I've been in and out of there without any issues. Um, there's, you know, looking just in the D.C. area, uh, suburban airport. I don't know if it's, A, still there, B, what it's called anymore. It's in Laurel, Maryland. Um, I, think the, I think it's like 30 feet wide. And, you know, maybe 2,100, 2,200 feet long or something like that. It's got a hump in the middle. And there's no parallel taxiway. Um, you can't, if you're on, the, on one end of the runway trying to take off or about to take off, because of that hump, you can't see if there's traffic on the, on the far end of the runway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, uh, of interest, shall we say. That's um, a pucker inducer. Yeah, the Sky Bryce, which is a private strip associated with a um, ski resort uh, out near the West Virginia line in Virginia, um, is kind of a one-way in, one-way out. It's it's also paved. They got a nice little parking area. It's it's uh, maybe a two hundred uh, yard hike up to the the um, chalet where you can get a good lunch and and all that kind of thing. Go skiing if you wanted to, whatever. Um, it's it's nestled in the mountains. There's, a, I think, a creek or a river nearby next to it or something like that. Um, but you go in there, and it's pretty much a straight-in landing. I've, I've never landed from the south, so I've only, I mean, uh, yeah, I've only landed to the south from the north. Um, but um, you have to, once you take off back to the south, you have to kind of start turning as soon as the wheels are off the ground. To miss the mountain that's in front of you. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. There's, there's little stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the, run, um, the runway that I operated off of more than others that has a that has a slope in the middle was uh, Columbia in California. It's in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains, and uh, um, and it was a little bit interesting to arrive because you did kind of you know you kind of turned base to final around this little hill that was out there. But that was sort of okay. You could do that, and and then when you were on final, you can see the whole runway. And it's only as you you know got on really short final that you got low enough that you could not see the the, the far end of the runway, and that didn't cause me a lot of trouble on 
on uh, landing where that kind of gave me a little little pause was on takeoff because you'd you'd you'd, you know this is a non-tower airport so you're kind of on your own here and you'd taxi into position and suddenly realize you can't see the far end of the runway and you kind of go well it was clear oh you 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 would you would line up and wait yeah wait what wait yeah wait well augusta municipal and uh the pasture runway at beaumont kansas Mm -hmm. both are are Laid out, they're both pretty much north and south, 1836 at Augusta and pretty much 1836 at Beaumont. But you can't see the opposite end of the runway at either right. of those airports. Right. Yeah. Uh, but And Augusta has a parallel taxiway. Beaumont has a grass taxiway that parallels the part that's marked as runway. Uh, it just takes a lot of attention to detail and a hope, a, a, a prayer that if anybody shows up on the other end, they'll actually use the Unicom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now getting back to LaGuardia right. for a second. Um, so a couple episodes, well, it was more than a couple. It was back before Oshkosh when we talked about the, the, the list of thrilling airports. And we were wondering why LaGuardia was on. We were just kind of speculating on how it got on the list and so forth. Um, one of our listeners uh, uh, responded to this in the forums, a listener who goes by the name Jarhead Pilot 82 in the forums and is apparently an airline pilot, uh, actually gave us a very interesting posting in the forums where he talked a little bit about landing at LaGuardia. One little paragraph from that posting is he, he writes, as an airline pilot for over 22 years with probably hundreds of landings in LaGuardia, I would agree that LGA can be fun at times and only somewhat demanding and only a somewhat demanding demanding approach at times. But let one thing happen. The weather comes in or crosswinds pick up or gusty winds start gusting or even good weather after the bad weather has come through the New York area and everyone and their uncle is trying to get into LGA with the controllers running approaches with minimal VFR separation and you are looking at one demanding approach. So he he confirms the notion that this is a thrilling approach and uh, um, it's actually a very it's a much longer post and it's very very interesting and we thank Jarhead Pilot for sharing that with us. Um, well, uh, and, and, and something that bears considering here when we talk about, you know, challenging, thrilling airports from which to operate or into which to operate is that when they were first airports, none of them were that challenging or they wouldn't have put them there. Yeah, true. You know, yeah. the, the, the landing speeds, takeoff distances and such for the airplanes that they were flying. Uh, I mean, does anybody think that Kitech would have been built the way it was and where it was? If anybody had envisioned a 747 turning right over the apartment buildings and having to make a right turn at a mountaintop street sign that says, turn right here. Uh, No, we kind of grew into and beyond some of these airports. And it's amazing that the aircraft have been adaptable enough to continue to go into places like that for as long as they have. Yeah. Yeah. so, listener uh, Jarhead Pilot eighty two, uh, who gave us his perspective on landing at LaGuardia, has a, an even more significant claim to fame than being a pilot and an airline pilot and a LaGuardia pilot. Um, in the postscript to his forums posting, uh, he writes. Tell Dave, and I'm not sure why he directs this specifically at you, Dave, but he does say, Tell Dave, I was in the Marine Corps with Jake Leinenkugel, the current Leinenkugel Brewing Company president. Love those lineys. So this guy's got an in. We got to get to know this guy. Yeah. yeah. We should get something brewing with that. That's right.
The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Go ahead, try to come up with an aircraft that Dave Higdon doesn't want to fly. Welcome back to Uncontrolled Airspace. Off-field landing of the week here. Let's see now. This is from the... Uh, oh, we've even got on-field landing of the week we could pick on. <laughs> we do? Which one? Well, it seemed like there were a couple at Oshkosh that wound up in less than improved territory. Yeah, well, we right. talked about the uh, F-16 and, yeah. and a few others, but... Uh, but uh, is there any news on the F-16? Has anybody heard anything more about it? I didn't see it when we left. I didn't look for it. Um, um, I don't know if it's still there or not. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm just refreshing my memory about this off-field landing of the week. Uh, let's see now. Uh, it's a long story. I'm not going to begin to read it all, but I'm just kind of reading the first couple paragraphs here. Um, uh, from the Chalice or Hollis Messenger, uh, which is apparently in Idaho. Uh, headline is Engine Dies, Pilot Safely Lands Airplane in Hayfield. Uh, the quote starts out with a quote uh, That's not good. Sean Mirren uh, and wife Christina said to each other when the engine of their plane suddenly seized up and died. It not only seized up, but it seized up and died. All right, Some, somewhere near north of Clayton just after noon on Monday. This is Dateline. Oh, I don't know when it's Dateline. I don't see a date here. Um, but Merwin was able to catch thermals, thermals and safely glide to a dead stick landing in Preston Cutler's Hayfield at about 12.30 p.m. Uh, this is just a classic mainstream media story. They're really kind of blowing up all the, you know, it's like the Cutler family was uninjured. Um, the one, 1962 vintage Mooney uh, was unscratched since he was able to break to a stop 10 to 20 feet short of a barbed wire fence. It does sure sound like the engine seized somewhere, because props don't usually go wham and stop moving. Yeah, no, you know, they don't. I'm, I, you know, we are grateful for that technical description of what happened. It went wham. And, um, man, he did everything right. Yeah, I mean, It sounded like he did. Yeah, it yeah, sounded like I he mean, did a good job. It's a long story here, and I can't begin to even summarize it all, but... Uh, uh, he basically worked lift off ridges flying down a river corridor. Really? To extend how far he could get. Mm-hmm. That is some impressive flying. I agree completely. And uh, uh, any, any, anything you can make bread from. Yeah. Both. Not, not to not to not to you know not to uh, belittle or, or make light of um, uh, this achievement on his part. Uh, there's a couple of quotes in here though. It says um, um, she had the brakes on too. Sean said of his wife, even though the passenger seat doesn't have brakes. I could have done like the Flintstones to stop if I could have. Kristen said, <laughs> "Yeah, I've done that in a couple of airplanes." I can, I can imagine. Yeah. That's just that can, great. Yeah, that's a great line. Yep. Let's see now. Both Sean and Kristen are glider pilots, and Sean said he has more than fifteen thousand hours of flying experience gained over thirty years. He's flown in the Idaho and Montana backcountry and has instructed students in flying single and multi-engine airplanes, seaplanes, and gliders. So when the engine quit, nobody panicked. Training took over as he glided and looked for the best landing spot. Quote, I did what I tell my students, fly the airplane. So uh, 
I'm telling you, being a soaring pilot has some distinct advantages when you add an engine. So it's a good result, and we congratulate uh, Sean and and, uh, Christina for uh, getting on the ground safely. Kristen. 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 And way to go on the brakes, Kristen. We agree. Yep. Yep. I'd I'd, I'd have done the same thing. Yep. Absolutely. Fred and Barney could be happier. The uh, the first the first graph says Christina, but I, you're right. It says Kristen elsewhere. It's a weird story, but it's a great ex, it's a great yeah. example of an off field landing, and we congratulate them for uh, doing such a great job getting on the ground safely. Very cool. Um, okay, this is going to cause controversy. I just know this is going to become a thing. All right, but I have had a change of heart. I am now in favor of having your photograph on your pilot's license. Okay, this is from another thing from the forums. Uh, one of the listeners came up with the idea. I'm not sure who it was here. I think it might have been IS, I Snoop. Um, I think it was. Um, he says, let's see now if I can find the exact line so I can read you exactly what he says here. Well, I can't find it. But he, he basically says, we need to turn this into lemonade. All right. We're all like moaning about how putting your picture on a pilot's license is just a huge waste of money and not, you know, useful and doesn't really gain anything. All right. But he says, no, let's do this. All right. I, I want my picture on my pilot's license because then I will start using it as my standard government issue photo ID for all the places <laughs> that I need it. All right. He says, and then he writes, he says, imagine over half a million pilot ambassadors waltzing around the country for flashing their pilot's license every time they rented a car, bought a beer, signed for a package, wrote a check, or flew commercially. I guarantee this would start many interesting conversations and would quickly lead to an increased awareness of aviation and a not insignificant number of new private pilot starts. All right. And you could always point to the lower right corner and say, see, that's me there. Yeah, that's right. That's He's talking about the picture of Wilbur yeah. Wright. Um, I'm I'm buying this. I think this is a awesome idea. All right, and if we got to deal, if we've got to do this photograph thing, all right, let's turn it into a plus. All right, let's make this into a chance to show off uh, who we are and what we are and how many of us there are out there. All right, I'm ready now, man. I'm ready to call the FISDO and say, how do I get my picture on my license? Let's do it today. I'm coming up to Maine. I think I think my FISDO's in Portland, um, and uh, I'm coming up, and you're going to take my picture and give me a because I want to start using. I especially want to flash it to the T. Say when I go on an airline, and uh, and uh, I just for some reason I just really want that to be my ID, so that they can say, oh, this is not a driver's license, and I'm going to say, oh, it doesn't have to be a driver's license; it just has to be a government issued picture ID. Exactly, and, exactly. You know, and uh, so, but <laughs> but my desire to get get a really good pat down from the TSA aside, all right, um, I think this is an awesome idea. If we've got to have these pictures on the, on the pilot's licenses, let's go for it and use it as an opportunity to become visible so that people know that pilots are just, you know, among them, and it's just not a big deal. Pilots are just regular people with a special air about them. That's right. <laughs> I like that, yes. Um, that's a T-shirt right there. That's, we're uh, plain, I, saw it, we're I, saw, I originally saw it on a coffee mug. But uh, okay, all right. We're, we're plain smarter. Yeah. So right. anyways, I... But, but, but I, like, I like your post undermined, though, here, Jack, I, I must say. What did I... Uh, oh, yeah, right, I know. Well, to see... So in the forums, folks, what happened was I, I replied to iSnoop and said, I think this is terrific, I really like this, all right? 
Um, and uh, basically somewhere down the line, Jeb said, uh, Jack, I think using your pilot certificate as ID, if it had a picture, it would be a surefire fire way to get patted down um, and or miss your flight. Jeb was basically giving me crap about this. Um, I and then uh, trucked out a quote, which I'll only read the first couple lines. He says, if you know one person, just one person does it, they may think it's really sick and they won't take them. Um, and goes on and on and says, but the, the people will think it's, uh, where's the rest of the line here? I gotta, uh, but if enough people walk into Alice's restaurant and walk out, they may think it's an organization and can you can you imagine if 50 people a day i say 50 people a day walked in singing a bar of alice's restaurant or showing their pilot's license with a picture on it and walking out friends they may think it's a movement you could get anything you want at alice's fbo yes right yeah we'd all just get the group w bench and that'd be the end of it i'm completely (laughs) turned around on this subject i now am in favor of having your picture on your pilot's license so that we can be using it as our standard id and flashing it around you know and yeah. I might even meet some women. You never know. You never know. I, I, I could. I, I'm there. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. 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 Is there a problem with the F-22? So I didn't realize this. The F-22 uh, uh, fighter, the new fighter, has been grounded for a while. Um, I sort of remember this story, but I didn't realize it was still grounded. Since May 3rd, is it still grounded, correct? It is still grounded as of my research earlier today. And and although they maybe are getting closer to an answer, they don't exactly know. Well, what was the symptom that caused it to be grounded? Well, apparently there was one that crashed coming out of Elmendorf back in the spring. Um, and it killed the pilot, apparently. I'm not sure all the circumstances. And, and I have to also put a caveat on that. I... I, I presume in, in doing some of my research here this morning in, in my um, um, insufficiently caffeinated state um, that um, that's what occurred. In the aftermath, in the immediate aftermath, um, the Air Force is grounded indefinitely, is the phrase that I keep coming across, all F-22s. Um, the the um, symptom here is that uh, there's something going on with the aircraft's onboard oxygen generation system. Um, and I don't know how that system works. I don't know if it's a chemical system. I don't know if it's, uh, uh, you know, uses a, a compressed tank. I don't know if it's using bleed air. Apparently, though, it uses some combination of bleed air and something else. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is happening, apparently, is carbon monoxide is getting into the pilot's oxygen system in some fashion. And apparently the supposition is that this, this crash of the F-22 out of Elmendorf uh, back in, in the spring was due to uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. There have been other instances apparently where pilots became mildly hypoxic because of malfunctions in the oxygen system, uh, which may or may not have been related to uh, CO contamination, carbon monoxide contamination. Um, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, how, how can you have a multi-million-dollar jet fighter that has carbon monoxide leaks, uh, carbon monoxide leaking into the oxygen system? I've got a $500 oxygen system on my airplane, and it doesn't have carbon monoxide in it. Right. Uh, what's what's the deal here? What's going on? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, there's all kinds of little questions here. Um, these these aircraft are are hideously expensive. I forget the the price tag, but it's uh, it's more than you and I will see. 
Um, and uh, they've got little problems like this. This is the same aircraft that there was a, uh, a, uh, a squadron of them that were repositioning um, uh, several years ago when they were basically brand new and, and uh, flew across the international date line, and the computers reset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. Uh, yeah, there was that old apocryphal you know, story about the first time it flew across the equator, it flipped right. upside down because, yeah. Um, so, okay. down under. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the uh, latitude went to a negative number, and all hell broke loose. Um, we have a surplus well, it, it of... The story confuses me a little bit because it talks about an onboard oxygen generating system. Right. Then it talks about a bleed air system. Right. And if the onboard oxygen, we looked at a, uh, an in-flight oxygen generation system at Oshkosh this right. past week. So right. if you're using bleed used, air to feed yeah. that, it would seem like... He used air, air to, to, uh, to generate and compress oxygen. Right. And, but if, they, if they've got a compressed oxygen system or a, a generating system there as a standby to a pressurized bleed air system... Then we got something else going on because the bleed air system comes off the compressor section of a jet air engine, way, way away from the combustion chambers. So it would have to be finding its way out of the exhaust back into the inlets that feed the compressor that feeds the the bleed air system. And this theory that it's because they're starting the engines in a hangar up in Alaska because of the cold would seem to solve that 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 well, that that's, history see, but and that's that's just not right because exactly they're they're not starting these engines in in a conventional hangar first of all no it's uh, because not like it, it, it would hangar. blow it would blow stuff all over creation yeah um, secondly even even if they are starting the damn thing in a hangar uh, it's still sucking in more or less fresh air um if anything, it's basically a, a, an open-ended Quonset hut. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, I don't know what they call them, revetment or, or whatever else, but um, it's open on one end. The, the airplane can taxi out of this, this structure, uh, and it's open on the other end to allow you know the, the jet engine's uh, exhaust to, to escape from the hangar. Stuff doesn't build up in the hangar like this. Um, the other supposition is that... Um, Getting exhaust from other jets uh, mixed in somehow with this onboard oxygen generating system. None of this makes any sense. This is all, to, to coin a phrase, it's all blowing snow. Yeah. And wow, and they wouldn't I, use that in Alaska. Oh, I'm, I'm no, I know. Nor, nor would the military use any of that. No, yeah. never, never. No, never, never. never. Yeah. So, well, I guess we're just going to have to kind of sit tight and see what more comes out of this story. Um, how much, how concerned I, I I fear this is going to turn into a fifteen minute conversation, which would be a valuable fifteen minute conversation, but we're running close to the end of our allotted time here. How concerned should pilots be about uh, CO two and C you know CO getting into their general aviation aircraft? They should be very concerned. They yeah. should be very concerned, especially if they're flying a single, and uh, especially or, in winter, and especially in winter whether you're flying a single or a twin. Why is it more uh, of a problem in the winter? Um, because you're going to be more apt to use cabin heat. And cabin heat in these air... air remember the, um, the engines in these airplanes, the vast majority of them, there are exceptions. The vast majority, however, are air-cooled engines. And the only real source of heat to heat, help heat the cabin is to put a, muffle, 
around the exhaust system. Right. Yeah. And you get heated air. Uh, air flows past the exhaust system. It gets heated. It's then, it then flows into the cabin. Well, duh, exhaust systems can leak. Right. And when they leak, yeah. one of the things they leak uh, is, is carbon monoxide. Um, in a twin, uh, you don't have, uh, of course, within a single we're talking about, you've got that exhaust muff uh, that goes over the muffler or some other part of the exhaust system and, and heats that air and it goes into the cabin. Um, and that's present 24-7, 365. Uh, so you can get carbon monoxide poisoning in a single um, any time of the year, day or yep. night, whether you're using the heat or not. Okay, um, in a in a twin, you typically have um, a, a at least in a piston twin, you typically have a combustion heater um, that um, instead of routing air from the engine nacelles uh, to the cabin. Uh, you have this combustion heater in the nose that basically performs the same function. It heats air. The air, uh, the hot air is routed to the cabin. Uh, combustion heaters function um, pretty much like uh, a stove or, or uh, uh, put it another way, an internal combustion engine that you burn fuel. Uh, they create byproducts. One of those byproducts is carbon monoxide. If that combustion heater is not in good shape, you can get carbon monoxide in the cabin. Um, I leave it to um, th those readers who are not familiar with carbon monoxide and its effects to go do some research and find out what it does, what it is, and how it can impact you. Yeah. Okay. And one of the best defenses against carbon monoxide poisoning in flight is a good CO2 detector. Uh, there are chemical ones that need to be replaced periodically that are very inexpensive. There are permanent ones that are more expensive but more responsive. Uh, and flying with a good O2 system is, is, is a good hedge because the detector can tell you that the cabin's getting poisoned by CO2. But let's say you're like Jeb and me uh, on, uh, on Monday. We're steaming along at 11.5. Uh, you just don't get the airplane down in a short turn and on the ground and, and out, of the, out of that atmosphere in a couple of minutes. Uh, if you do a 1,000 foot a minute descent, in that territory, you're still looking at seven or eight minutes in that you're, poised you're environment. At, you're, you're looking at 11 and a half minutes to get down from 11.5. To, to, uh, to, if you're going to sea level. Sea level to sea level, yeah. Um, the, the O2 will uh, save your butt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, on my airplane, you know, I've, I have one of these electronic uh, carbon monoxide detectors. Uh, it's... it's um, uh, a device I, I bought from Brent Blue and Aeromedics.com several years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it is bulletproof. Uh, I leave it sitting on the floor between the front seats. Uh, every now and then I replace the 9-volt battery in it. That's all the maintenance it ever requires. I forget how much it costs. Uh, cheap insurance. But um, I've never, it's very cheap insurance. I've never had it go off in flight, uh, but I've had it go off a lot in ground operations. Where, um, for example, I'm, I'm slow taxiing or I'm, I'm you know, uh, positioning the airplane for a run-up or, or something like this. I'm running the engine fairly rich, uh, fairly rich mixture. And the thing, somehow, there'll, there'll be some, uh, you know, it's an old airplane, all, thing, all things considered. Um, there's some leaks and, and, and nooks and crannies and, and stuff in the floorboards and exhaust. You know, if even, even when I'm idling the engine... 
a, a wind from the tail uh, will blow that exhaust up into the wing root vents. Okay, mm-hmm. and it, and the, then the then the the prop uh, prop wash will blow that air into the cabin, and my carbon monoxide detector will go off, and mm-hmm. I can smell the unburned hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. That's got to be time. comforting, knowing uh, that so it I know, works. Yeah, exactly. I know the thing works. I'm not in this. I'm not in this configuration for very long, um, and uh, it's all good. Uh, I know that it works. It's doing its job. And I know that if I'm droning along in cruise and that thing goes off, I've got a situation. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good gadget. Yeah, it is. I hi- highly recommend it. And, and one, one thing about the chemical um, uh, detectors, you'll see a little, you know, two-and-a-half, three-inch uh, piece of cardboard with this, this round uh, spot of some chemical on it. Um, those were very popular back in the day. Um, they were fairly cheap. You could get them, you know, at the FBO. Uh, they were hidden in the counter under the FBO. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my life, bet my life on one of those. Uh, for one thing, uh, they're only good for about thirty days. Uh, once they're, once they're, the package is open and it's exposed to ambient air. Uh, but the other thing, they're not very sensitive, and the electronic devices are far preferable. Um, yeah. I've had mine. Uh, Dave, I think you and I bought ours together, or we bought something together similarly from from Brent at an aeromedics booth at one of the shows or another. And uh, yeah, that's many many years ago. It's been many 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 years ago. And as I say, the damn thing, all it requires is a nine volt battery every now and then. I you know basically change it at, at annual, and forget about it. And yep. uh, uh, that's all there is to it. It's worth every single penny. And protect yourself from F-22 onboard oxygen generation systems. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely running, reaching the end of our allotted time here. Before we do shout-outs, there's one actually very somber uh, subject we want to touch on here. Um, we on this podcast from time to time will remember members of our community who have passed on, um, as some people say, gone west. Um, and, and we do that because we feel strongly about just remembering the people who have made contributions to our community and, and, uh, and thanking them one last time. Um, while we were at Oshkosh, we got some very sad news um, that really hit very, very close to home, and, uh, and we weren't prepared to talk about it at the time that we heard about it because it was so close to us. But, but we very, very much want to remember Dave Sclair. Uh, who passed away uh, last week. Um, we all sort of knew him, but David, if I can put this on you, and I, and I know that you were quite moved by this whole thing, but but are you able to just talk with us for a few minutes and tell us just a little bit about Dave Scalair? Oh, sure. Dave and Lou Scalair, uh, the uh, publisher emeritus of uh, General Aviation News, used to be the flyer, then it was GA News and Flyer, uh, the pink sheet at one time. Uh, they had the most outrageously parent, painted Baron 58 you'd ever see, and it looked great. Uh, Dave uh, and Lou, his wife, have been around this business for 30-plus years. Uh, they were the original publishers of what we now work on at Oshkosh uh, as Air Venture Today. It was called EAA Today when Dave and Lou started it in conjunction with the end cooperation of EAA in 1994. Uh, their magazine and their book publishing legacy lives on, and their son Ben, their daughter Robin, 
uh, GA News still viable. We lost Dave at age 73 uh, because of uh, brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And he missed Sun and Fun for the first time in decades because he'd been ill and the diagnosis was reached just before Sun and Fun. And uh, just before Oshkosh, uh, they'd reached the point where they moved him into a hospice. Uh, Dave went with his uh, family around him, a project, a publishing project on his lap, and with his sense of humor intact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the first people in this business to treat me uh, as a genuine human being, and I always considered him one himself. And to borrow a phrase that Dave liked to use, uh, Dave used to like to close out conversations or encounters with, well, I'm glad you got to see me. <laughs> Dave, I'm glad I got to see you too. I can't add anything to that. I, I didn't know him nearly as well, but I, uh, he, he was always a very pleasant, fun, friendly guy, and uh, um, my heart goes out to the family. I, I know what it's like to lose a parent suddenly, and uh, so, uh, you know, my best to everybody. We're, we're sending out our best wishes. Jeb, anything you want to add? No, I would just echo uh, what, what both of you have said. Um, I, I never knew Dave well. I, I know Ben slightly, um, not well enough for sure. Um, but I guess the, to kind of maybe put this on a humorous note, uh, Dave Sclair also always treated me with respect and, and with kindness every time I met him, uh, even though um, I was usually with Dave Higdon at the time. <laughs> Shoutouts. Um, for some time, we have had on our homepage, in the sidebar of our homepage, um, a list of uh, people who have just received some sort of new aviation rating, like uh, gotten their private pilot or their IFR or whatever. And uh, that kind of went a little dormant for a while, but we recently have brought it back to life. And uh, you now can uh, submit your own information about any new rating you got. And I just want to take an opportunity from time to time on this podcast to give a little shout out to folks who have added, been added to the uh, the UCAP uh, uh, new ratings webpage of fame. So very quickly here, we've got about a half a dozen new ones here. Paul uh, Philipson. Um, of uh, of airport KISP. What's KSIP? Anybody know off the top of your head? Islip. Islip, okay. Uh, has got a number of different ratings here. Uh, he received a commercial multi-engine airplane uh, and CFII airplane, so congratulations to Paul. Doug Hensley of Ellington Field in Houston uh, has uh, received a number of Part 135 helicopter uh, certif- certifications so that he can, as I understand it, so that he can uh, do more commercial helicopter fi- flying. So congratulations to Doug. Adam Salvo of KMSN. What's that? MSN. MSN? Madison, um, um, Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, received his pi- private pilot license. Congratulations, Adam. Yay. Uh, Ron Klutz of Palo Alto, California, certified flight instructor. Uh, Ron's a, 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 a well-known listener to us. Uh, we hear from him from time to time on email and, uh, and uh, in the forums. Dennis McCracken. Uh, got uh, his seaplane rating from Brown Seaplane Base down in Florida. Winter Haven. Woohoo! That's right. That's right. Uh, John C. Ford uh, got uh, uh, accomplished his first solo recently, so that's very Yay, very cool. Team. Yeah, John. Way Ford. to go, John! Uh, from uh, uh, CHK. Anybody help me with that one? I should figure out how to expand these. CHK, Cahokia, Illinois. Sure. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, 
And finally, John Conway uh, of uh, KMTN uh, has passed his private pilot, and that's awesome, too. Congratulations, John. Congratulations to all these listeners uh, who have reached some sort of aviation milestone. And uh, if you have reached some sort of aviation milestone, it can be a rating or it can be purchasing a new airplane or getting appointed administrator of the FAA, any of these things. Uh, finishing a home built project. Or- that's exactly right. Um, there is now a link uh, on the uh, homepage right near that l- list where you you can go to the form and submit your uh, new rating to be included on the web page of fame. That's my first shout out. You guys got any? Um, this is to the um, uh, medical staff, the first aid uh, uh, staff at uh, AirVenture. I had occasion uh, to, to visit with them on, on a couple of occasions, actually, this last, uh, last couple of weeks. I found them to be professional, uh, helpful. Yeah, well-equipped, knowledgeable, um, and just an all-around pleasant experience, um, especially for someone who wasn't really sure what the heck was going on. And um, I, I just want to give them a shout-out to thank them for um, their many kindnesses and their service uh, and, and uh, strongly recommend uh, to anyone attending any, any Air Ventures uh, in the future that if you have a question or have an issue, have a problem, don't hesitate to go visit these fine folks. Uh, you won't be sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, I would echo that. I, I also had occasion, not this year, but uh, many, about 10 years, well, yeah, maybe almost 10 years ago, um, to take advantage of this service. And, uh, you know, it was a minor medical thing, although I was pretty uncomfortable at the time. And, uh, yeah, I walked into, uh, I first walked into the station that they have up in uh, Camp Scholler. And I forget what, for some reason, they weren't able to help me there. They recommended that I go to the main one, which was down uh, at the time, was behind the old uh, FAA control tower. And uh, I had a similar experience, Jeb. They uh, were very friendly, very accommodating, um, no questions asked. They just kind of talked with you and helped you out. And, uh, you know, it was terrific. It's just one of many great, great services that are available on the AirVenture. Yeah, and, and and it was free. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There was no charge. There was no charge. They and they even had the the meds that they wanted to give me. They mm-hmm. had on hand as samples, and so they yeah. just put them in my hands. And uh, um, it it was it was very comforting, um, very very comforting to have them. Yeah, it was, it was very comforting, very refreshing, and uh, uh, just a a, a a relief in 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 a lot of different ways. Yep, yep, and made my ouchie go away. Yep, there you go. They 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 kissed it, and made it better. <laughs> They kissed yours? Oh, man. See, we're not even going there. Um, J- David, you got any uh, shout-outs? I'm done. Um, so on, on a another serious note, but a much more upbeat one, um, we have recently gotten email from a couple of different listeners who related to us almost as an aside. The emails were about other subjects altogether, and they were just talking about some aviation matter. And towards the end of each of these emails, the listener then said, I, in one case it was in the past tense, and in one case it was in the present tense, I was listening to your podcast while I was stationed in, in one case, Afghanistan, in another case, in Iraq. And, um, and I don't even know how to express myself here, but to say yeah, that it, it is just humbling beyond words to to realize that our silly little podcast here plays e- even the slightest role in helping these people 
pass the time while they're serving our country in this situation. Um, you know, and and so we we thank you for telling us this. But more important, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for your service. And uh, you know, if this helps you, that's awesome. If there's any other way we can help you, please let us know. Thank yeah, you for your service. I, I can't can't say that any more eloquently uh, than than Jack just did. I, I've noticed recently on on ATC frequencies uh, when a, a civilian controller um, is talking to a military flight. Um, it's it's not all the time, but it's it's certainly growing in frequency, where the civilian controller, when the is signing off to the uh, the military flight, um, will say, "Thank you for your service," and it's 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 just a few words. Um, it's it's um, um, perhaps um, you know a routine thing, um, and I've never served, uh, never had the opportunity, never had. The misfortune, put whichever you wish to to, to call it, but um, it is it is just mind-numbingly um, humbling uh, to know that um, people who have been uprooted from their friends and families, their jobs, uh, and and sent over to the sandbox, uh, uh, perhaps more than once, uh, and put themselves in harm's way, uh, are are passing the time and and and. Maintaining their sanity by by listening to us. I I, I don't, although I don't know that listening to us is really good for one's sanity. No, no, yeah. Um, but uh, it is it is just very humbling, and uh, it's it's a very um, special thing to know for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we have full faith that if there was really something to do, you wouldn't be doing us. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Time to stick a fork in this one. My Ow. goodness. <laughs> it's like from the highs and lows of emotion. Uh, we started out talking about, I forget what, but it was kind of... We started out talking about Oshkosh and flying home. And, and FAA certification. And, and FAA you know, ridiculous. added together is 16. Yeah. So, oh, and that's significant. Oh, numerology, A, which added together is 7. Lucky 7. Maybe that's what we'll call this episode, huh? Lucky what? 7. What? I don't even know how do you get to two forty eight added together. Yeah, two forty eight is six. What's it's six 14. plus eight is fourteen. Oh, so it's five. Fourteen. Right. All right. Five. Okay. Yeah, okay. Clearly, it's getting very very late at night here. Jeb yeah. Burnside is a uh, is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, JeBurnside.com uh, is a good place to start. Um, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is is kind of the day job thing. Uh, I will occasionally pop up on AEA.net, uh, occasionally on AvWeb.com, and uh, if you're looking for for air venture coverage, I think you can find all three of us on AirVenture.org. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, uh, some of those other things that Jeb mentioned in a couple of places where I have to keep it a secret. Oh, well, not, and, not in my own time. What can I say? And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. 
We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Oh, I just wanted to thank Jeb for the extra hours of my life while I got to fly up and back between Jeff and Oshkosh because, as you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. TTFN.